We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat joining me. Mr. Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse podcast and the Kings Herald. What's going on, Brendan? Not too much, James. Uh, just you and I today. No Sean Cunningham as of right now, but uh, I'm doing well. Another day in the life, you know? Yeah, you know, Sean went camping this weekend, and, and I think he's lost in the woods. So, um, <laughs> no, he just needed, uh, he had a busy day and couldn't fit it in, and, and that's the way it goes sometimes, which is good because we got three of us, and we've got options. Um we got a lot to talk about, Brendan, and at the same time, we've got nothing to talk about because it is the dog days of summer. Um, I I see a corgi poking through into my bar, poking her little nose through. I don't <laughs> know if she'll make it in or not. Hopefully not, because that could lead to some destruction. But uh, um, yeah, it's it's the dog days of summer. Um, I don't know about you, but the weather's been really strange here. Like it rained last night a little bit, and then it started raining in the middle of the day for a little while. I guess it's good for the garden, not great for fire season. Just waters the weeds. Um, but uh, yeah, are are you staying cool, locked in your house, locked in your your apartment? I am, and I probably could be better about checking the weather each day, and instead of just thinking tomorrow's going to probably be similar to how today was, um, because the day that I actually dress for triple degree or triple um, triple digit weather then all of a sudden it's just not that hot anymore. So I probably could pick my outfits a little bit better, but I'm not complaining. It is a lot hotter here than what I'm used to. Brendan's out there wearing like a tank top, some like short shorts and some flip flops and then looks outside and it's raining. Yeah. Yeah. I see it happening. Um, okay. So we've got, uh, we got some news, uh, on Thursday, this Thursday coming up. Um, I don't even know the dates. Uh, July 28th, we are doing Off the Record with the King's Beat Virtual Happy Hour Part 7, Deuce is Wild. Uh, and that's going to be with Deuce Mason, 
of the Deuce and Mo podcast. Uh, he also has like so many other titles. It's crazy. Um, he he does the producing on the King's radio broadcast. He is the radio, well, the voice of the Stockton Kings. He's got a lot of a lot of things that he does, which is kind of the way that this business goes now. Um, many of us have many jobs that we do. Um, but uh, Deuce Mason is going to join us for the happy hour. If you are not a premium subscriber to the King's Beat, you will not get an invite to the happy hour. Um, and if you're going to miss a happy hour, it's it's kind of a bummer because happy hours is, is a lot of fun. Um, it's going to go from 5:30 to 7:30. We're going to talk about Deuce's story coming to the league and how how he's uh, built his media empire uh, with with Morgan Reagan, um, and uh, he's got a great story. If you don't know Deuce's story, it's pretty amazing. Uh, we'll have a few drinks. We'll get a little loose. We'll talk about things we probably shouldn't talk about. And uh, it'll be a good time. So if you're not a premium subscriber, you won't get the invite. There's still time for you to become a premium subscriber. If you're watching on YouTube, first and foremost, give us a thumbs up. Secondly, subscribe. We're almost to 2,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is amazing because we've only been doing this on YouTube since January. And so the growth has been super fun to watch. Um, But uh, there's also hiding in... The description down below, there's a link to uh, become a premium subscriber to the King's Beat. And uh, the biggest thing with being a premium subscriber is you get access to the happy hours. And the happy hours are, like, they are a highlight. Everyone seems to enjoy them thoroughly. Uh, we have Q&A. We have all kinds of stuff. You get to be interactive. And uh, I usually give out free stuff. And that's cool. So maybe you get a free author record with the King's Beat virtual happy hour t-shirt. I don't know. Uh, there, there are plenty of prizes to go around. Uh, off, our, off the record related merch and everything. Custom yeah, made. Yeah, custom made. Yep, it's good stuff. And I actually have male and female versions of that shirt, which is unusual. Normally I just order a bunch of, like, basically men's sizes and then people work it out. Uh, but no, I've got, I've got two versions of, uh, of the off the record shirt. So, uh, Brendan, let's get to it. Um, <clears throat> we'll start with uh, Sean's favorite portion of the show, especially on Tuesdays, which is Tuesday overreactions. Um, the Kings are one of seven teams who have called on Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell clearly is about to become a Sacramento King. What are your thoughts? Clearly. Um, I, I mean, I think that a former MVP should be enough to get it done if they need two. The Kings can make that happen. So I think it only makes sense. Um, <laughs> it, it's, oh, so it's, you're going to use uh, like Chima Moneki to go get Donovan Mitchell. I yeah. see I, I see where you're going there. That's the highlight piece. I mean, what's, what's weird is that because there is a pre-built relationship with Donovan Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox and Donovan Mitchell and Davion Mitchell, um, those guys have familiarities with one another um, off the court. It's just that, like, with the Kevin Herter trade specifically and that first-round pick having locked up so many future years of first-round picks for the Kings, that's where it gets really difficult to see how this would work, right? Because you would think any godfather package offer for Donovan Mitchell is going to include three first-round picks and four swaps or as close as you can get to that along with whatever 
current players are happening. Um, could the Kings, am I understanding right, that the Kings could technically alter those restrictions that are on the Herder pick? Yeah, uh, you can alter uh, alter the restrictions on a pick without any question. Um, you can renegotiate those terms after the fact. Without, it's not like, okay, so like almost every NBA contract is is fully guaranteed and non negotiable, right? Um, there are non guaranteed deals, which you know we've seen for guys like Chimezi Metu and even. Even, you know, Kaziak Paula and, and Shimo uh, Moneki, uh, both of them have uh, have non-guaranteed contracts. They're actually heavier contracts than what I would normally assume. So in the NBA, there is something called an Exhibit 10 contract, um, which is usually just a training camp deal. And, and Brennan and I were discussing this a little bit coming onto the show that in the NBA, you're allowed during the regular season, 15 regular rostered players, and then your two two-way players. So you, you're allowed a 17-man roster. Um, you don't have to have a 17-man roster. You can actually get by with a minimum of 13 players go, walking into the into the regular season. And then if you have two-way players, you have two-way players, and that would put you up to 15. Um, but you can always leave one or two roster spots open um, you can also not have two-way players. Two-way players is a, is a new thing. It's like, I don't know if it's four years old, uh, five years old, something like that. Um, but it keeps going up. The two-way contract is has been morphing, especially in the age of COVID, to where now the two-way contract is worth the full half salary of a, uh, a league minimum salary deal. Uh, so like a, it's worth like $502,000 to be a two-way player. That's pretty good money, especially for like second round picks, undrafted players. Keon Ellis like goes undrafted on draft night and lands a two way contract, and he's going to get paid more than you know probably like eighty percent of the second round picks because a lot of those guys aren't getting deals at all. They could get again, like you get an Exhibit Ten contract. So to get back to what an Exhibit Ten contract is, usually a minimum. Uh, deal like very small deal with like twenty five thousand guaranteed or fifty thousand guaranteed, and it's just for you to get through training camp. And, and some of them even go lower than that. You can get like a twenty five thousand dollar guarantee just to show up to camp. And there's also some mechanisms put in place. So there's an option for a team to say, look, if we cut you and you're one of the final three picks, we can one of our final three cuts, we can allocate you to, to the G League. If you accept that G League assignment, then um, and you stay in the G League for 30 days or, or 60 days, we'll give you an additional $100,000 bonus. So it's a way to pay a guy who might have options in Europe to go to the G League and actually, you know, make some some money playing professional basketball. Um, but I, I think my point to this was that is not what uh, KZ Akpala and and uh, and Chimi, uh, Chima. Uh, Moneki got they got much larger guarantees I think both of them we know for sure that Moneki's contract is 250,000 guaranteed if he makes the opening day roster and then oh no no it's 250,000 guaranteed for training camp and it's I think 500,000 if he makes the opening day roster that's a lot more than most exhibit tens or most like entry-level contracts for undrafted or 
players coming from overseas that you have no idea like those guys. And I think Casey Akpala's deal is either the same or very similar. Um, so yeah, the, the Kings can have, I don't know how we got fully sidetracked on this, um, except for the fact that you mentioned that they could trade an MVP um, for Donovan Mitchell. But uh, yeah, the Kings have flexibility in their roster all the way up until they still have an open standard roster spot if you consider Akpala and Moneki as as you know, players who will actually make the opening day roster. Um, that puts them at 14 players and then two two ways. They actually have 16. So they can carry an additional four more players through camp and and even keep one more player if they wanted to. Uh, that's a long way of saying, what do you think? Donovan Mitchell, Sacramento King? I think it's the only obvious outcome here. I, I'd be shocked if it <clears throat> didn't happen at this point, obviously. Okay. I, I don't even know what a package would look like. It's it's definitely including Keegan Murray, right? Ooh, I don't think so. You don't? Y- y- you can get it done without Keegan, though? Like, I know from Sacramento's point of view, they wouldn't want to do that, but you have to, no? Okay, like that's so... that's your best asset. See, that's going to be a good discussion. Because I was going to ask, can you get it done without... Because you brought up the, the relationship of... Uh, of De'Aaron Fox and and Davion Mitchell can you get a Donovan Mitchell deal done without either Fox or Mitchell being involved I think so and it hasn't a lot of the reporting been that like Utah wouldn't want to take a player that is maybe making a substantial amount of money right now like they'd rather go for a little bit of young assets like I don't know that Fox even has that great of value to utah yeah i don't think fox okay so i would say no you're not going to trade fox in that deal um but i think davion is a player that you know could be enticing because what we're looking at from new york isn't some of the like the rumors of like grimes and emmanuel quickly um and, and like one other player of of smaller value well probably a larger contract but an expiring contract in exchange for uh well along with upwards of six draft picks i mean that's so we're hearing some some crazy deals and that's where it's like okay how do the kings even get involved in this um and what you were saying like it would probably cost i don't know if you can do the pick swaps so as of right now um let's just kind of do you know all of the restrictions on the the herder trade uh, on, on the pick i believe it's top 12 in 2023 and then goes top eight four and unprotected but i can verify that real quick okay i got it it's uh 2024 is the first year it's top 14 protected it's lottery protected uh 2020 so that's 2024 2025 is top 12 protected 2026 is top 10 protected and if it's not relayed by 2026, then it becomes two second-round picks. Yeah. Um, so, like again, we've talked about this a little bit. I've got a, an invasion of the pug. <laughs> He's decided to break his way into the room. Um, so, yeah, it, it's basically it's um, – there are ways that you can take those restrictions off, though. Uh, you could work out a trade where – like maybe you got something more from Atlanta, you wouldn't really have to give Atlanta any more, in my opinion. I don't think there's any way. Like if you called Atlanta right now and said, hey, 
um, we want to give you a 2025 unprotected pick instead of a protected pick. What do you think? Um, they would say, okay, we'll take it, right? right. Yeah. Um, and then that would free you to trade up your 2023, your 2025, and your 2000, I mean, your 2027 and your 2029 picks to uh, to Utah and a swap for Donovan Mitchell. And then you could throw in pick swaps as well. So pick swaps in just about any season. So you could give up a pick swap in uh, 24, 26, 28. So um, probably three firsts and three swaps. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think like that's probably what Utah would ask for. Mm-hmm. And, and again, like maybe they can go get more from the Knicks. But that's kind of the starting point, right? It's going to cost you. But... So in that deal, basically what it's costing you is in addition to, uh, you know, all of those picks, you would have to give Atlanta an unprotected pick as well. Or you could find some way to sweeten the deal with Atlanta where maybe you could even get the the first round pick kind of wiped out. Maybe they would take three second round picks instead of a protected pick in 24, 25, 26, right? Um, Yeah. that's where I would like I would start hard line negotiating if you think you can get a deal done. So it's complicated, and then on top of that, Donovan Mitchell makes a bunch of money. So you're going to have to come up with some sort of contract that makes some sort of package that makes sense, which again would probably be something like Harrison Barnes, um, just because that's the easiest way to go up and match contracts. Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes um, do work for donovan mitchell there's only about less than a million difference between their combined salaries and donovan mitchell's what is mitchell's salary for the season 30.3 million 30.3 okay and then so you need to be within um 20 125 percent plus or minus of that deal so just quick mash quick math you need to come up with 22 million 500 something like that uh, that's that's the minimum amount of salary you can give them. So Barnes and Terrence Davis and um, Alex Len would work, where they save a bunch of money. Shemezi Metu and Alex Len and Harrison Barnes works. Like there are other ways to do it without them having to take on a three-year contract of of uh, Rashawn Holmes, right? Yeah, there is. Yeah, if they don't think that they could. Uh flip homes for something else and kind of do an OKC type of thing that went on with Horford, which I, I guess you wouldn't say is the same because I, I don't think the Kings are in a position where they're dumping homes or anything like that. I, I do think that there's other ways to make it work. And I guess if the Kings were in a scenario where they were able to free up those additional, like we said, roughly three first rounders and three swaps, like, and we're willing to do, I mean, really you'd have to go, close to unprotected for Utah to be listening because right now like the deals we're laying out the primary asset in return for Donovan Mitchell is these draft picks and that's what's interesting to me is like in the matching salary it feels like it has to include at least one semi-proven young player and maybe semi-proven is wrong like I think Keegan Murray or Davion Mitchell I I think one of those guys would have to be included in the deal along with those picks from Utah's perspective. If you're the Kings, would you even consider adding in uh, Murray? Because I don't think they would. 
I mean, I think the conversation's over. I, I don't think that they would even consider it. For Donovan Mitchell? Like, I, it's a conversation to me. Okay. Does okay. it change the amount of picks that you're giving out at that point? Probably not. See, I don't think it does. Much. Yeah. And that, but this is probably the only way you're in the conversation. Like, I, I would put Davion in there. Davion's not really a question to me. And that's nothing against Davion, but I just don't think that Davion is a player that I'm not, that changes the conversation on whether or not that gets to get taken place when it comes to Donovan Mitchell. Like, I, I just don't think that Davion is that good of a player to be off the table in a Donovan Mitchell conversation. And I kind of think that you have to say the same for Keegan. Interesting. Okay, so I'm going to say that there's no way that the Kings would include Keegan Murray. I think that they would just be like, okay, no. Like, they're of course, they're not going to give up Sabonis, which I wouldn't make any sense anyways. Um, I don't think that Utah or the Kings, I don't think the Kings want to give up De'Aaron Fox in that deal, and I don't think Utah would want to take on De'Aaron Fox in that deal. So it would really come down to, you know, Davion and and Harrison Barnes and cap filler. And, and again, the reason why I think Harrison Barnes gets included in that deal is, uh, Danny Ainge loves Harrison Barnes. He tried to get him multiple times in the past, but I also think that Harrison Barnes is a player that if you trade for, you can turn around and flip for another first round pick. So basically in a sense, you're giving up four first round picks in that deal. Uh, you're getting you're getting four first round picks uh, if you're Utah, um, because I think you can go and get a first round pick for uh, for Barnes, and, and then you know again like Mitchell, I, I don't know what kind of pick you could get for Mitchell if you wanted to roll him, but Utah actually has to field a team. Somebody has to play for the Utah Jazz this year, and for the next three years while they try to rebuild and get. It's going to be all the same people that played for the Thunder the last two years. <clears throat> yeah, they're just going <laughs> to fill in a bunch of pick up a bunch of thunder people so So, i would okay go ahead yeah i'm curious so what is the team how good is the team in this hypothetical if they are able to land donovan mitchell hmm and if we want to say it's a dream and they keep keegan like if you're okay with it we can say the hypothetical is hb davion and i think they need to throw one more guy in there as well um say terrence davis okay HB Davion and Terrence Davis and the three firsts and three swaps for Donovan Mitchell. How good are the Sacramento Kings with De'Aaron Fox, Kevin Herter, Donovan Mitchell, Keegan Murray, DeMontis Sabonis? And okay, so Malik Monk. We still have Herter. Okay, so Herter's going to be your three. Okay, so man, I, I wish I had the trade machine in front of me. This is interesting because. We're just spitballing here, people. We're not saying that this is going to happen. This is just like an interesting conversation on how, like, if there was a deal to work out. So if I'm the Kings and I'm in this conversation um, and I start playing with contracts and, you know, again, I need to have all the contracts in front of me. Uh, As of right now, I don't. But let's just say I do. Let's say I have Kings salary which I know the King's salary. I don't know why I'm even having to look this up um, because it, it's more because I don't know Davion's number specifically because I just wouldn't. Oh, it's 4.8. Okay, so we're looking at 4.8 uh, 
4.8. Harrison Barnes is at 18.3. Well, you can even say 18.4. And 4.8 to... Okay, so I got that at 23.2 million. Okay, so we're already in the ballgame. Now, now I'm going to throw you for a loop. Oh, God. If I'm the Kings... I'm thinking, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going for it. So I want Pat Bev. How do I get Pat Bev included? Because if I'm going to get, if I'm the Kings and I'm giving up Davion Mitchell, Patrick Beverly's on a one year, $13 million deal. I know that to be the case. So, and you said Donovan Mitchell is 32 million? 30, 30.3. 30.3. Okay. So now we're looking at how do you get within for, you know, so we're looking at 43.2 million. This is fun. Like, I, I didn't expect us to have this conversation. 43.2 times, well, actually, 43.2 times mm. 0.75 equals. So the Kings got to get to 32.4 million. Um, so it's tough without uh, including Rashawn. <clears throat> well, you could get, you could use Rashawn and get right to that point. Um, that would be one way to do it. Um, but you could also do Terrence Davis, Alex Len. That gets you to $31.2 million, throw in Shemezi Metu, and you're there. So What what was it again? Sorry. Uh, so now we're looking at <laughs> now we're looking at Harrison Barnes, Davion Mitchell, Terrence Davis, Alex Len, and Shemezi Metu. Those five players in a five for two. And uh, you could actually get to the salary to to bring in both players i guess you could also do trey lyles in there as well as opposed to the other uh, as opposed to chemezi but that would get you up to the the mark yeah i i definitely like the idea of getting pat bev back as well because i mean we're talking about the need for a back for a third string point guard right now and if davion was included in this deal backup point guard becomes a more important issue uh right away even though you have guys like Herter, Monk, Donovan Mitchell who can kind of initiate um you would need to fill that spot and Pat Bev being a culture guy like you could see how he'd be intriguing I did not expect to have this conversation James yeah because uh, like I didn't either because I mean I expected to discuss Donovan Mitchell but I didn't expect to get into like the semantics of it um definitely was more of the would you give up Davion, would you give up, you know, who would you give up? So in, in that deal, you're giving up three first-round picks, maybe a couple of seconds because you have seconds. The Kings do have, I think they have seconds in almost every draft for the next four years, five years. They've got a bunch of seconds. Um, you still have to work out something with Atlanta, but again, Atlanta would owe you to take protections off, or maybe there's a way to give Atlanta something and, and then – somehow get that you know brought down to two first i mean to two seconds or three seconds right huh okay and then we we do all of this and then the knicks come in with six first round picks and you lose (laughs) pretty much that's that's exactly what ends up happening here um but for the sake of this conversation if you're good with it i i figured out what the rotation would look like and I'm curious. Well, that's quick, Brendan. Brent, you're on your feet here. I'm curious how good of a team this is, James, in the Western Conference. De- your starting lineup, in my mind, De'Aaron Fox, Donovan Mitchell, Kevin Herter, 
mm-hmm. Keegan Murray, and Devonta Sabonis. Yep. And then off your bench, your first three are Pat Bev, Malik Monk, and you still have Rashawn Holmes. Okay. And then you're still working with uh, Trey Lyles, Chemezi Metu, Akpala, Moneki, Ellis, Keita. But I, I think you have eight very good rotational NBA pieces with Fox, Donovan Mitchell, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, DeMontis Sponis, Malik Monk, Rashawn Holmes, Patrick Beverly. <clears throat> like, this is a playoff team. How good of a team is this, James? How good is it? Um, well, I think it's interesting because uh, we've – you know, kind of like over the course of, of weeks here, we've discussed where Keegan Murray kind of fits in the grand scheme of things, right? So in a starting lineup that included Mitchell and Fox and Sabonis and Herter, he's your fourth or fifth option as a starting lineup, as a starter in year one. Um, I don't know. I think it's pretty fun. I, it, it has potential. <laughs> I, I think having the ability to put both Herder and Murray to surround, um, you know, Donovan and, and Fox with those two is would be good because they're both floor spacers and smart floor spacers, guys that can actually do a few other things. I don't know. I, I'm going to say it's a it's probably a six seed. Yeah, with so the too. potential for more. Like again, you've given up all your first round picks. Well, you haven't given up all your first-round picks. I, I think that that's something that should be pointed out, that it, it you're still going... You can't... The Stepien rule stops you from doing something crazy like having no first-round picks. And pick swaps don't really hurt you, especially in the first, like, two years, because if Utah is going to implode this thing and the Kings are going to be a better team, there is a good chance that, you know, you're you're not going to lose your pick swaps. We always think that, but even like the Philadelphia deal, the Phil- the last pick swap is what got Vlade in that. And even that pick swap, I, I mean, sure, you could have had Tatum. Um, so that's a big deal. But I also think that, you know, Tatum versus Fox, uh, Tatum is a better player right now. But if you switch their positions and put one of them on the Kings and the other one on the Celtics, does De'Aaron Fox develop differently than Jason Tatum if he's in a better situation? Possibly. So anyway, like that's that's something that could be discussed. It's something that, you know, we can't actually put a, like, we don't know how that, that whole thing would work out. But I yeah. still, I think it's interesting because your pick swaps are, again, like they're risky, like somewhere along the way they'll be risky, but are they a huge risk? Um, would Donovan Mitchell want to stay? That would be one of my other questions. How long is Mitchell under contract? Four years. Oh yeah, he's locked up. Yeah, he's at yeah. And you're looking at basically in three years, you're looking at three hundred million dollar players. You're already looking at basically the outline of three hundred million dollar. I I think it's interesting, and I really like the idea of Donovan Mitchell cutting as a cutter off of uh, off of Sabonis. And as a spot up off of Fox and running the show for a large portion of the game where he's, you know, he takes over the control of the ball. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Like, if I'm the Kings, like, there's no reason not to call and see if you can figure something out. And like I've said a million times, like, you can, the, the war chest that the Knicks have is a little, it's not as 
as good as it sounds. Like I know they have Dallas's pick this next year, but that pick is top 10 protected. And then it, it does something weird after the top, top 10 protection. So it, it's one of those picks that looks a lot better than it is. And, and when you really get down to it, it's, it's not that great. Um, so that's one thing that I would, I would caution that there are going to be some of these picks um, that you hear that are so highly touted by the Knicks at the end of the day, they might not be as good as you think. And uh, even though we think that the Kings would be a better team, um, we also have to live in a world where the Sacramento Kings have missed the playoffs for 16 consecutive years. And they, uh, that's a problem. 16 consecutive years, they've missed the playoffs. And so they're always in the lottery. So I have it right here. Let's see. The 2023 Dallas pick is top 10 protected in 23, 24, and 25. And then if it's not conveyed, it becomes a 2025 second rounder. Um, The 2023 first round pick of Detroit is protected 1 through 18. So you're probably getting that pick. Well, it's... Oh, geez. See? And again, if it's not conveyed by 2027, then it becomes a second-round pick. They have Washington's first-round pick, and it's for 1 through 14, 1 through 12, 1 through 10, 1 through 8, all the way up to 2026. And then it becomes a second-round pick, or two second-round picks, a 26 and 27 second-round pick. So again, like some of these picks they aren't really as good as what you would think. Uh, we're also looking at the 2025 Milwaukee Bucks pick, which that's not going to be a great pick. Um, and the Knicks picks. And if you put Donovan Mitchell on the Knicks, like how good are the Knicks? And I, I think that that's going to be a question too. Do the Knicks have the potential in the Eastern Conference for that pick to be like a mid-20s pick? Sure. You know, they've got they've got the makings of a decent squad especially in the Eastern Conference. They do. Um, I think (laughs) that even with the Kings potentially making that deal, I'm with you. I think it's like a six seed with the potential to be a little bit better, sure. But I don't think that's a good enough outcome that we're talking about for all the assets that it would take Sacramento to get in the Donovan Mitchell conversation. Like I think that what Minnesota just did with Rudy Gobert is already very borderline on more often than not you see teams do this when like drew holiday or anthony davis when they are just that one piece away from being a true title contender and not teams that are just trying to make a jump like into the playoffs you know or even minnesota like they're sitting at seven last year and they think that this can jump them into top three top four like i still don't think that that's the type of jump that you want to be taking or the type of ceiling you want to have after you spend all the assets that you did in a Rudy Gobert style type trade. And I think that like, I don't know, the Kings making this deal just to be sort of around the six seed range with potential to be higher, I think is a tough outcome, but I also understand the reality of it being the Sacramento Kings and I've kind of started to appreciate even more so the value of just being a solid team for a little while for and how much that would mean for this organization and their perception around the league and just ability to actually get people in their door and, and things like that. So 
I think it's too much for not a good enough team, a team that you still look at and say, I don't know who the clear-cut star of this team is. There's a lot of star cal like all-star caliber talents. I guess Donovan Mitchell would be the best out of the three between Fox, Mitchell, and Sabonis. But you still don't have a clear, like, this is my go-to guy throughout the postseason. Like, I don't know. It, it doesn't make enough sense to me for all those assets. You know, I, I'm thinking about it, and I I actually think it'd be a really good team. I think it would, because here here's why. It's because you're gambling on it being a six seed this season. I think that that's, that's a safe assumption. Like, you would have an opportunity to be a six seed this coming season. You'd also have an opportunity, if things were going really cool and everyone was having a good time, to extend a guy like Pat Bev for maybe another two years, right? And, and keep him in the fold. And so you're also banking on the fact that Keegan Murray has the potential to get much better, to become a much better player than he is in year one. And even year one, Keegan Murray, I think we're expecting to be a pretty solid player. So your ceiling, you know, again, you put Fox and and uh, Mitchell together, and you don't know. Maybe Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it's too much, you know, the same thing. Maybe it's too much ball dominance. But if it does work, it would be, like, extremely exciting. And both of them could be all-star level players. I don't think there's any question. And for that matter, Sabonis yep. is a two-time all-star. He can also be an all-star again. And you would be doing this knowing that all of those guys are basically here during their prime. With Keegan Murray coming up. But you got them at 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, right around that range. You've got them all locked up. Huh. I'm intrigued because I think you would still have the, the opportunity to get better every off season. You could make trades. You could, you know, do all the things that you can do to, to make a team better um, each and every off season. You'd have the ability to, you know, still, we're even talking about Rashawn Holmes would still be on that roster. Yeah. You know, either Trey Lyles or Chemezi Metu is still on that roster. Um, you, you might have the potential to be pretty, pretty good you know, I don't know. Maybe you surprise somebody. Maybe you are better than a six seed. Maybe we're just being a little too tame. So yes or no, would you do it? Uh, um, three first rounders unprotected and three first rounders unprotected, just so people know they're better than any of the picks that they're getting from the Knicks. I, again, I think if you put yeah. Donovan Mitchell in the Knicks, you're talking about at least a four or five seed in the East so you're talking about like 18 through 24 pick um, for the next few years. And then all of the other picks are so incredibly protected that you even have an opportunity for not one of those to be relayed and all of them to become second round picks. So again, I, the Kings are a safer bet than a lot of those other picks. So, so Brendan Nunez, if that deal was presented to you, yes or no? No because I think, well, at least as we've gone through the conversation, I've definitely realized that the Kings can put together an intriguing package. Like I think the Harrison Barnes being the primary matching salary for the reasons that you pointed out of him being a flippable contract. I think the impression I've gotten is that like Utah wants to kind of be able to reset their books and not get somebody that's going to, you know, make them a 10 seed right now, but they'd rather be the 14, 15 seed for a year or two and get a chance to fully reset and be one of those top lottery picks. Like, 
I think the Kings make a lot of sense um, and could offer a decent package, but I don't think that I'd pull the trigger. I think that it's not a perfect enough fit for all those assets to be going out the window in my mind. Interesting. Where are you at, Mr. James Ham? Pull the yes trigger. Or no. Pull the trigger. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, look, you're you're mortgaging the future for sure, but at the same time, like this thing has just been stuck in neutral forever. Right. And the value of Mitchell, the value, you know, is going to be there. It's going to be there after year 1, it's going to be there. If it doesn't work, you can turn around and get some of those assets back if you needed to. Um, there's just an opportunity to to kind of backtrack it and be okay. If it doesn't work, if if it all falls apart, if you have a trade demand, whatever. Uh, but uh, it should be noted that uh, Donovan Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox are good friends. Um, that's kind of the way Donovan is around the league. Um, he has He's good friends with everybody. He's a guy that everyone likes. Um, but Donovan and De'Aaron played against each other in AAU. They've known each other since they were like in their early teens. Um, and so there is that kind of connection. And you would hope that that would lead to something. They're from the same draft. And, you know, the Kings, to be honest with you, they could have had this package a long time ago. And actually, I could even have made the argument that if De'Aaron Fox wasn't available at number five, that the Kings probably would have kept number 10 and drafted Donovan Mitchell to be their point guard uh, that year. Because that was a big thing. Donovan was trying to convince everybody that he would be a point guard uh, and that he was the best defensive player in the draft. And then he walks into the league and stuns everyone. <laughs> I've even had this conversation with Fox even said, like, I'd know Donovan forever, and there's no way I ever thought he'd average 25 a game. Like, that just wasn't his game. And then all of a sudden he gets to the pros and is like, wait, what the heck? Who is this? Like, where did this come from? So he lit a fuse under himself and became this incredible player, and uh, which is why he went, like, number 13, because I mean, he averaged, like, 12 points a game in college like he wasn't some yeah. stellar scorer at the college level all right well we just wasted 30 minutes uh making up <laughs> some weird trade that probably will never happen part but, two how do the kings trade for kevin durant uh, part two yeah <laughs> i just see that's a whole another one man you you bring in a that's where you're taking on something that you know has potential to be a complete disaster just because of age and because you aren't there. If you were there and you were like, I think Mitchell would be motivated. Yeah. I mean, I'm taking Kevin Durant every day of the week, but I don't think it's realistic anyway. So. Oh, look at you. You're ready to make the move. What do you, <laughs> what do you think is, is Boston going to pull that thing off? That's intriguing, isn't it? For Jalen, it is tough. You know, like I was listening to uh, the low post this morning, go through it. And the weird complication of like, Jalen only having a couple years left before he goes into unrestricted free agency and KD having four years left and because typically the younger guy would have the better contract situation makes it for an interesting dynamic I mean but the Celtics did that Jalen Brown and Derek White in a first round pick like they're the favorites right away instant favorites right yeah, instant favorites, which is weird to think because you're still talking about getting past Golden State Warriors. But man, that would be that would be fun to watch. I, I hope that something like that happens. 
And, you know, I know the, the two years left on Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown can negotiate a contract extension next summer. He's already a max money player, so he can go get even more money. Like like silly, crazy Kevin Durant money is what he would make in Brooklyn. And it would be his team. And he would also have a, you know, he'd still have Ben Simmons there. Ben Simmons. That's a yeah. really good defensive tandem, too. Yeah, because that might even be a funner tandem or a or more logical tandem than uh, than Tatum and Brown, you know? Yeah, it's it's an interesting <laughs> one. I mean, can you do what you can from Sacramento's point of view to try to snag a Derek White or Marcus Smart or whoever the additional piece in that deal is? Well, see, that's the problem. That's the problem. If you're dealing with the Utah Jazz, you're clearly dealing with a team that is done, that is saying, okay, we're holding a yard sale. Everyone be here on Saturday, and you know we're going to sell. It's it's even more than a yard sale. It's an estate sale. <laughs> like, everything must go. We don't want any of mom and dad's stuff. We want it all gone, right? So you're going to have price tags on, you know. Uh, Bogdanovich, Conley. Yeah, Conley, uh, exactly, Bogdanovich. Like, could you Clarkson. work a deal? I mean, I was even thinking, could you work a deal with, could you go Harrison Barnes and Alex Len and, uh, like, Terrence Davis and, like, two or three second rounders and come back with Bogdanovich and uh, and Pat Bev? Yeah, and you said HB in that as well? Yeah, HB and then a bunch of expirings. I mean, that's what yeah. those guys equate to at this point is expirings. Like, but then give them the sweetener would be that, you know, if they can't get more than a second round pick for, for those guys, which it's probable that, you know, getting a second round pick will be difficult for a 33 year old expiring Bogdanovich, getting more than a, a second round pick, getting more than a second round pick for Pat Bev is going to be difficult, but could you swap out pieces and make it work? I don't know. Yeah. Like if I I'm Utah's Utah point of view, probably you'd do that and then flip HB again from that point i think i don't do that for the kinks i see where you're coming from but i think that hb can get you a better asset because bogey and pat bever just expiring well he's just expiring as well right and, and I, I mean like in that deal what i'm doing is i'm taking harrison barnes as you know a major rotational piece but on an expiring deal and i'm coming back with two rotational players yeah. So, I mean, that's the only reason I would consider something like that. Can you get uh, what's his name, Jared? Um, why the the power forward that that got Vanderbilt? That they got, yeah, Vanderbilt. Can you get Vanderbilt? I don't really like Malik Beasley. Um, that would be another guy that you look at and go, okay, he's an instant scorer and he could actually change if he could play the small forward. That would be different. But he's six five. He's more of a shooting guard. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Jared Vanderbilt is somebody that intrigues me. Um, <laughs> his shooting isn't great, but that's rim protection from before, which is something mm -hmm. that Sacramento doesn't have on their roster. Um, I think it's intriguing, and I, I'm ready for these dominoes of Donovan Mitchell and, and Kevin Durant to fall already. I am too. Uh, sorry we went down the ridiculous. I, I really We didn't intend to go down the ridiculous, especially not for that long, but... Once you dig into it, it's like, okay, there's a lot of information here to take in. And I think the biggest piece that I would say is that if it's not for a player like Donovan, 
you should at least take in that this is sort of the mechanisms that would be in place if the kings do chase someone else that's big, you know, that becomes available in the next three months, four months, uh, five months leading up to the, the trade deadline. And that's, it, again, the, the conversation won't change. It would be something similar if the Kings are going to take another, like, swing for the fence move that uh, that would set them up to potentially be much, much better going, you know, into the next three seasons. And uh, it, it's going to take multiple first-round picks. It's going to take working with Atlanta to take some of the pick restrictions off. Um, you know, so it, it could be a little dicey and a little complicated, but at the same time, I think this is it's a good discussion because you kind of see that there is a framework in place where the Kings could potentially go and do something of interest. Um, and, you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I'm, I'm going to yeah. say that while we like he would not do it as far as Brendan and I would make a trade like that, I don't think it will happen. So if that makes sense. Yeah. From, um, from your point of view. How rare or new is it to see the King's name mentioned in this sort of conversation? Like, is that something that's more so been more common with Monty that since that regime has taken over, they've been more active in their name popping up in trade talks? Or do you think just this is kind of about normal? No, it's not normal. Actually, I, I'm even going to say this. It It's kind of like um, when we... When we post a video to YouTube, we do a keywords, you know, you, you add in keywords at the bottom. Um, it feels to me like every single trade in the NBA, uh, the Kings are a preset in the, in the, the like word search window, like, oh, it's already in there. Sacramento Kings, because we know they're going to be part of the deal. They're not going to get the deal, but they're going to be, they're going to be mentioned in the deal. That's kind of the way it's become. And it's by design. Like I, I remember sitting in in a boardroom, and Vladi Divac and and Brandon Williams are sitting side by side, and Vladi keeps saying things, and then Brandon keeps trying to decipher what Vladi's saying, which was silly because we all we spoke Vladi, we knew exactly what Vladi was saying, <laughs> um, but he kept trying to clean it up and say this and this, and it, it became like almost like. It was really strange. It it really was, um, and and then the the question finally like. We kept getting to this point where, and it, I think it was like me and Jason Jones, maybe Jason Anderson, and Sean in, in this conference room, and then it was like. Brandon, do you think that you're going to be able to get an A list free agent? Well, yeah, we would like to create an environment where that would be a possibility down the road. And it was like, okay, yeah, this conversation's kind of over. <laughs> like, that ain't happening, man. Well, we think that we can change it. Like, okay. Like, what are you going to do? Put, like, like get casinos, like, in the downtown Sacramento and, and start putting in a bunch of nightclubs and, like, turn Sacramento into something that it's not? I'm, I'm confused. Like, Sacramento's a great city. It's just not a draw for free agents. Like most NBA players, when they hit their first free agency, are like 23 years old. They're not settled down. They're not, you know, 23, 24. They're not settled down. They're not ready to figure things out yet. They want to go to big cities. It's when you get to like 27, 28, where guys are like, you know what? I want to be in a neighborhood where I can raise a family and I don't want to worry about things. And, you know, I'm kind of calm and I don't need to go out every night and find that nightlife stuff. So it changes, but... 
like most NBA players look at Sacramento as, as that sort of like when you grow up and you're going to go leave the league in a few years, maybe you go to Sacramento, but it's just not a place where, I mean, again, the best free agent to ever sign in Sacramento was Vladi Divac. The biggest name free agent that's ever signed in Sacramento was like a 40 year old Vince Carter. Like there, there isn't a big name that signs here and that they, they re-sign, they won't sign as free agents. And so we were lost in this, this conversation with somebody who literally thought he, he had the magic potion to change the whole, you know, course of history and time. The only way to do that is to go out and build a really, really good team that everyone in the league looks at and says, okay, I might be the piece that could put them over the top and go win a ring. And we saw that in the early 2000s with guys like Jim Jackson showing up and, you know, you know, guys who thought that they might be that one last missing piece that could help put the team over. But that doesn't usually happen. It's, it's just not the way it works in Sacramento. Yeah, definitely. So trade is the way to go, whether it be, right, the three primary ways or only ways to acquire players or trade draft and free agency. And free agency is... Uh, just a certain caliber of player off the board for the Kings or they're not going to draw serious consideration until they step up their game themselves, like you said, and somebody can look at it as a kind of missing piece. So being involved in these trade conversations is kind of the way to build out the roster. Yeah, it's logical, but you you can't do one every like four years. That doesn't work. You got to actually string them together so you can build something quickly. Right. And, and I think that's where we're at. We're at a point where the Kings are going to still try to be mentioned in some of these things because there's opportunity. There's opportunity to improve your roster quickly. And, you know, hopefully that's something that they're able to, uh, to negotiate and, and figure out. Uh, yeah. The wording get... we heard nonstop is we're not done from Money McNair, right? Yeah, we're not done. I think he had hats made. We're not yeah. done. <laughs> I, no, he did not have hats made. You know, um, <laughs> it's, it's a funny mantra. Um, let's get to our, our second topic, which, you know, is going to be short because we didn't expect to spend that much time on our first topic. Um, but uh, the Kings defense, um, they didn't address it at all during the offseason. I mean, in all honesty, like, like, like not to be like completely just shine these guys on, but like Keegan Murray is an upgrade defensively. Um, Kevin Herter is an upgrade defensively over Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton. Malik Monk is not a, is not a defensive upgrade at all. Um, so how do you get better, Brennan? I know they, they signed Mike Brown uh, and, and brought him in to change culture and to, to scheme this thing, but how do you get better on the defensive end if you don't have better defensive players? I think it's just buy-in. Like when I think of a culture in Sacramento slowly starting to build itself specifically with Mike Brown in mind at the head of that I think that it materializes itself when it comes to on-court production on the defensive end of the floor like I think that communication is something that we heard non-stop last year I know the reality is they also just didn't have very many good defenders they had a lot of bad defenders to be honest um, but I think there also was an aspect of the communication not being great and I don't think that there was a chemistry between everybody on the team um, that really will help on the defensive end of the floor so I think they did make 
some okay improvements to the roster defensively, and it's mainly addition by subtraction in my mind. Like, to be honest, I think Buddy Hill and Marvin Bagley are two of the more bad defenders in the NBA. Like, they are often not in the wrong spot, and all it takes is one person to fall asleep or make a mistake defensively for everything to kind of fall apart. And I think it's easier, at least I understand, if a guy like Donovan, um, De'Aaron Fox at the top of the key isn't going to be super locked in because he knows at some point in those 20 seconds, Buddy or Bagley are going to make a mistake and somebody else is going to get a basket. So I think like having this trust and culture and chemistry should really help on the defensive end because I think they got rid of the guys that are just straight up bad defenders and brought in okay defenders. And if everybody can play their role, I think that you could be talking about like you're still 20th on defense but is there a world where that's possible like i think so because the bottom teams in the league in defensive rating last year are just the worst teams in the league like 30th is houston 29th is portland 28th is sacramento or 28th is indiana 27th is sacramento like and it takes a while before you reach a serious playoff team 26 atlanta um who was in there but they have a ridiculous offense in place is the only reason uh, 25th, you have Washington, the Pistons, the Bulls. Like, all the bad teams are the worst defenses in the league. Like, there's just no – you have to get better, I guess, is the point. And I think that they have a route to be better. I don't think that they're going to be good. They just need to not be horrible. I, I agree. That, I mean, and I think with Mike Brown, there's potential for you to get to the top 15. But that's a that's a huge leap. I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous leap, especially when – I just don't think that you have that many players that are going to play minutes that can actually be defensive pluses. So again, like in year one, if, if Keegan Murray is lucky in year one, he'll be a league average defender. Like, is there a possibility he can be a plus defender? Sure. But in year one, no, like he's going to take his lumps, right? Even if he there, is mature. There wasn't, there wasn't a time, as good as he was at Summer League, there wasn't one game where I was like, wow, he was really good defensively today. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there are moments, especially against, like, Chet, he had a few moments. I think there are moments against Paolo Bancaro where he made adjustments, and I thought he was pretty good. Um, I was impressed that he was able to hang with uh, Benedict Matherin for, for stretches. There was also one or two plays where it was like, oh, yeah, that's not going to work. Um, okay, so if if we assume that the three guys you brought in, two are going to be more stable versions of what you had before. Like again, I think Herder is a better version defensively than Buddy or than Halliburton. So let's give them, you know, a little bit of a bump there. Like you're not going to get so many blowbys, um, and you're not going to get backdoored to death. All right, so we'll, we'll agree that that can be the case. Keegan Murray is better than what you had with Marvin Bagley. I think he's better than what you have with Chemezi Metu. I think Trey Lyles, he's more versatile than Trey Lyles. Okay, so let's say he's a plus over what you had before. I'm not really going to worry about Malik Monk because he's going to be your scorer off the bench, and we're not going to really count on him to be a lockdown guy. He's going to be a guy that covers the other guy that Davion Mitchell is not covering in most situations. So your path to improvement is number one Sabonis who really isn't that bad of a defender in my book Uh, he's not a rangy defender he's not a versatile defender where he can defend multiple positions 
but he is a big space eater and he's also a dude who is absolutely spectacular on the defensive glass and ends possessions so the kings have always had this problem that they can get a stop but even when they get stops they're not good enough on the glass to end the possession and so there's a lot of offensive rebounds that just doesn't happen with with Sabonis around he's just a outstanding rebounder so I think he'll help you there he's not a shot blocker at all but he is a good position defender and he eats up a bunch of space in the key but then I got these four guys I I wrote on this the other day um we have to see something different from Fox uh the the numbers just bear out that in the pick and roll uh he can't defend the dude in front of him in the pick and roll he gets lost on the screen or whatever it is he's got to be more locked in Although we do have that weird stat that Roland Beach gave us and then Will Z actually went and made a graphic about where against the top 30 scorers in the league, Fox is just absolutely spectacular. He has like the second best field goal percentage against. He holds everybody well below their averages, well below. And uh, it's the other guys in the league, all the other players in the league that he doesn't fare as well against. Um, So he's got to keep it consistent. We can't see what we saw from Harrison Barnes last year. And Rashawn Holmes has to be a more active piece. And on top of that, I think that Davion Mitchell will make, that's where he makes his impact. But I also think he'll make more of an impact because if other guys don't want to play defense, if Malik Monk or De'Aaron Fox or or Herter or Terrence Davis don't want to play defense, Davion Mitchell is not going to come off the floor in a Mike Brown system in the same way that, you know, Gary Payton III didn't come off the floor for plenty of minutes last year in Golden State, right? Yeah, I definitely think so. I, I think that Fox and HB are the two that really stand out to me from the point of I, I think that their effort is probably a lot, had a lot to do with their struggles last year, but I'm not 100% that that's the case. Like, maybe HB is just a step slower and we're starting to see the results of that like I don't think so I think it's probably the former but maybe there is more of an aspect than I realize of him having lost this step like maybe Fox is a guy that is only going to do it in spurts but like I do think that we've seen enough from both of those guys on the defensive end that I'm okay or at least where I'm at mentally going into the season is I'm going to be optimistic about their potential of being a part of a good defense and really just being locked in there like I I think that when they are locked in on the defensive end that both of those guys can be solid Um, Keegan is interesting to me I don't know what to expect I'm going into the year not having defensive expectations for him really I think that kind of the way you laid it out earlier makes a lot of sense I, I think that he'll have his moments but more often than not like if if he's a plus defender that's a phenomenal outcome in year one and I I wouldn't bet on that Herder is another interesting one to me because I I do think that he's a very big improvement from Buddy Heald but obviously that's a low starting bar and like Herder is the lowest starting bar that there is Um, but I I think that Herder's got good length at 6'7 and the more that I kind of watched some of his film during Atlanta defensively, I was kind of impressed. Like I, I think that I could be surprised by his defensive impact. And then the question for Davion, weirdly, I think that his defensive impact and the question surrounding that comes back to his offense. Because if he has that three-point shot and he's able to stay on the floor, 
then that's the way that he's going to make more of a defensive impact because he is a good defender. Like, I think that's just already the reality of it. We heard De'Aaron Fox talking about him being one of the best perimeter or point of attack defenders in the entire NBA, isolation defenders already. And, like, I, I just think that that's the reality of it. But there are times where he's not the most ideal guy out there because of his offensive abilities or lack of spacing really and that shot going down so if he's a better three-point shooter there's a way that this team is even better on the defensive end because he gets to be out there more often that makes sense yeah i mean i totally agree and i'll say this too like i'm looking at some of the stats like harrison barnes last year he was in the bottom five percent in the league in closeout situations where he's trying to close out a shooter right he allowed 1.35 uh points per possession in those situations so just so people know 1.35 that equates to he allowed in closeout situations where he's going towards a man um, on the perimeter like a three-point shooter he allowed them to shoot it's slightly over 45 percent from the field that's what 1.35 points per possession is and against the pick and roll ball handler he allowed his opponent to to score 1.039 points per possession. So in the pick and roll situation, the ball handler scored over 50% from the field. That's what that that equates to. And the problem that we have is that of his 770 defensive possessions on the season, 440 of those were in those two types of situations. They were by far the most types of situations that he was in as far as like the closeout situation and the pick and roll ball handler situation it made up 57 percent of all of his defensive possessions and i will make this argument first of all i don't think that harrison barnes at age 30 the way he takes care of his body is just going to naturally slow down is he more of a stretch four than a three at this point that is possible and the kings haven't had the ability to really just let him play that stretch four and leave him there because they they even like this year they still don't have they don't have an NBA level backup small forward. I mean we can say they can swing Kevin Herter over there they can put Terrence Davis over there or KZ Akpala. They don't have another true small forward that is an NBA quality you know rotational player at the small forward position. And so Harrison Barnes is going to play the majority if he's still on the roster he's going to play the majority of his minutes at that position. But specifically the closeout thing, I watched quite a few possessions and he's always trying to help because the players around him were so bad defensively that when he went to close out his man, he's too far away and he doesn't have enough ground to make up. And he's not like a seven foot three wingspan guy that goes out and swats three point shots. So I think that that's kind of where we're like, I, I think there are ways that that Harrison Barnes is a better player in those situations. I think you can also look at the pick and roll situation last year uh, where Sean Holmes was gone so much of the season. And so as a pick and roll handler, you're caught in a situation where you're really relying on the big man to do something to help you. And I, I don't think the Kings had guys that did they make some plays? Sure. But you know, Damian Jones, Alex Lynn, when he got to see time, even like Namias Keita, played minutes last year is only 12 games but those are minutes that Harrison Barnes his defensive rating is based on some of those minutes as well so I think Barnes can be better in those situations uh as far as De'Aaron Fox has to be better than he was last season and then when we get to Rashawn Holmes if he can be on the floor 
And, you know, we've had Sean talk to us about the potential for him to be a starter or for him to be a major cog in this season. Like, he's one of your better defensive players. He's one of your more versatile bigs. He's a guy that can track smaller players on the perimeter. And if he's healthy and he's right and he's not fighting with eye problems and with personal issues um, and he's willing to accept a role, then you might actually have something there that you can work with. Like there are plenty of teams around the league have a big man like him hiding on their roster, whether they make 10 million bucks a year or not, you know, you know, Taj Gibson is still in the league, you know, <laughs> as a guy who, who just still does his job and still makes money and still has a role with teams, even though he's not a starter. So I think he can help them. Um, you know, even if it's in like a, a Looney, a Kevon Looney, um, role for this team. Question for you. All right. The Kings are playing the Boston Celtics. Who guards Jason Tatum? Right now? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you're going to try Herder on him, and that may or may not work. Uh, you're going to try Harrison Barnes on him. That may or may not work. Um, you're probably going to even try Keegan Murray on him. And, and this is the same you know, scenario for Paul George and the Clippers or – if you want to say Luca in Dallas or KD in Brooklyn or wherever he ends up, like LeBron elite, James, yeah, these elite wings in the NBA that are starting to at least feels like become more and more common, or that's what's populating the top talent in the NBA. Like, do the Kings have a good wing defender right now? I think that I have Keegan Murray do it. But a lot of that has to do with, I think HB would do a better job this year. But I think it's more of a, Keegan, we need you to be a good defender in your future. So we're going to give you these tough assignments from your rookie year. So that way you can slowly get accustomed to being the guy that is checking them. And that's just because I don't think that, I, I am worried that HB lost a step and isn't a great defender anymore. Yeah, I think my response would be that on nights, there are going to be nights where you give up 35 or 40 to a guy, and it's about being able to play defense, being able to slow the other guys on the court, being able to control that side of it, and hope that you can get away with it, and then also hope that offensively you're going to be good enough. So, And I made this point last week. I'll make it again now. If the Kings have a refined offense that, you know, again, I don't know what their offensive rating was last year. Um, but and, and I can look that up while while I'm making this point. But if the, nine point six. Okay, and where they rank? It was. Yeah, we're probably going to look at fourth. Okay, so so again, if they have a more efficient offense, um, they were heavy in pace. They were eighth in pace in the league. Uh, their offense rating per uh, Basketball Reference is at one hundred nine point nine, which was twenty fifth out of thirty teams, and their defensive rating was twenty seventh. Right, and their net rating was was twenty fifth. But if they're a more refined offense, and last year they finished twenty percent at twentieth in field goal percentage, um, they finished twenty fourth in three point percentage. If you can put the ball in the basket, it gives you the opportunity to go set your defense. You don't get killed in transition. That's that's one of the biggest problems the Kings have, and I think that this year. Just the basketball IQ of this team, the fact that they have Sabonis, the fact that they have more players who are like thinking players that are going to do things within the flow of the offense. You might have one or two guys that 
that do, you know, ridiculous things on occasion. Um, just like throw Terrence Davis and let's say Malik Monk in that situation where you like, they take some shots that you're not happy with. They do some things that you're not happy with. They force some things. But my point is that if you, you consider the fact that the Kings have cut down on that type of player, and even if some of those players are still on the roster, they might not even play that much. And you can have a more refined offensive game that is efficient. You might be a better defensive team. You should be a better defensive team. And let's also throw in the fact that last year, rebounding-wise, where they finished in the league, um, total rebound there, 26th. Yeah, 26th for basketball reference, and you have been 27th. And defensive rebounding, they were 23rd in the league. If you take out the 15 games that Sabonis played, I'm, I'm going to bet you they weren't anywhere near that. He is a def- – and not only Sabonis, but like – you also had a, a Dante DiVincenzo, who in the last 25 games of the season was a strong rebounder, four and a half rebounds a game from the two guard position. So when you add those things up, you know, rebounding big man that got what, 12 and a half a game and a, and a guard that you threw in at the mid season who coming off the bench got you four and a half boards. That's an extra 17 boards a game that you were getting, uh, whether all of those were on the defensive end or not, they weren't, but most of them were. A good portion of them were so my point is that i think you can be better by doing some of the things that the kings were just really bad at um offensive efficiency and a defensive rebounding i think those are ways in which you can end possessions and you can actually set your defense and you can be better and just in those things alone i think if you are good at those things and good at communicating you're 20th in the league in defense without even really adding some of the other ingredients that we already know that they that they can improve on the the De'Aaron Fox issue, the Harrison Barnes issue, the the Rashawn Holmes issue if he can stay on the court and be part of this um, improving with Herder over the other guys. Um, and again, like Harrison Barnes, I don't think will be hung out to dry by Herder in the way that he was by his shooting guards last season. Yeah. I think that there's going to be less of that. I think that definitely makes sense. And I, I like you highlighting the offense efficiency and rebounding. I think that's a sneaky way that this team could be better defensively. I also think forcing turnovers, like just mucking up the game. You don't have a great defensive roster. Like Minnesota is getting pointed to a lot. Like this is what they did last year. They don't have a good defensive roster, but they're just freaking annoying. Like they're just playing extremely aggressive defense. And that is one of the things here. Like the Kings don't have all too many disruptive defenders and this is my moment to highlight Keon Ellis and why he should play 30 minutes a night but <laughs> I, I, I think that I would like to see the Kings that were 22nd in turnovers per game or steals per game excuse me last year um, that I, I really think that they would benefit from just being more aggressive and annoying and trying to force turnovers and obviously a team that in my mind is still going to be electric in transition with De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis outlet passes I think that Keegan uh, really excels in that aspect and so does Herder and Malik Monk so I I think that forcing turnovers is something that I'm hoping to see a little bit more of as well yeah who are the best two uh, steel guys the Kings had on their roster last year probably Tyrese and Dante uh, yeah, 1.7 and 1.5. Only De'Aaron Fox at 1.2 averaged over one steal a game. That's a problem. And, and I understand what you're saying, but you lost your two most disruptive players on the defensive end, 
and you got to figure out a way to do it without those disruptive pieces. Right. And uh, so I'm with you. Keon Ellis is a guy that actually does some things that is really intriguing. I just think it's really hard to see him getting on the floor. Um, You know, and then I go and I look at the the team that Mike Brown had last year. They finished fourth in the league in steals at 8.8 steals per game. The the Warriors did. And so, again, while they're an exceptional team, um, can you name one guy on that team that averaged 10 rebounds a game or even really eight rebounds a game? They were seventh in the league and rebounding and you know so those are the things yeah draymond green 7.3 rebounds a game kevon looney 7.3 rebounds per game you got to rebound as a family and and you know how does a team without demontis sabonis uh average you know the kings have demontis sabonis who's going to get you you know 12 and a half 13 rebounds a game this season and if you're looking at a team again like the Warriors where they averaged 45 rebounds a game last year and finished seventh in the league in rebound and defensive rebounds they're second in the league that is how you you end possessions and and get the ball going the other way and you set up you know it just gives you that extra push you're not staying on on the defensive side of the ball all game long which I feel like the Kings do way off way too often so they definitely do. And there's an interesting balance between leaking out in transition and also just securing defensive rebounds that I think the Kings are in a position with their talent level on the defensive end with this roster that they need to more so prioritize securing defensive boards. Um, because anytime you give up an offensive rebound, like more often than not, it feels like it swings to an open shooter. And I, I forget exactly where I've heard. I, I feel like I've heard a handful of times that's one of the worst shots to give up in the NBA is an offensive rebound that's going straight into an opposing catch and shoot three. Um, It's, it's a tough scenario to be in. And I think that with a team that doesn't have the most talent on their roster defensively, that doing all those little things is extremely important. Yeah. I mean, again, I I think there's a a world in which Keegan Murray and DeMontis Sabonis average 20 rebounds a game combined between the two of them this season. You're going to be a good rebounding team. If that's where you're, you're going, you're going to be a good rebounding team. And that could be 13 and a half to six and a half. It could also be seven and a half and 12 and a half. But I think you're going to get roughly that type of production out of those two if they're both playing the minutes that I think they're going to play. Um, okay. Uh, we uh, we got sidetracked on a uh, like a tangent. And to be honest with you, I didn't mind it. Um, you know, the Donovan Mitchell thing is, is intriguing. It's something that the Kings should kick the tires on. They should try to get involved. They should be, they sh- if you're going to gamble gambling on like a 26 year old with like unlimited scoring opportunities and just an all-around good player and a and a guy who you know has made an all-star team and all that stuff i mean you're banking on all-star level talent the kings haven't had all-star level talent in a long time um if all of a sudden you can have two or three uh all-star level talents then i think you might be onto something and and again, Donovan Mitchell is 25 years old. He doesn't turn 26 until September. Um, he's a guy that I would take a gamble on. Take a gamble on a guy where average 26 points a game over the last two seasons. You know, can shoot the three. Is known to play defense. Can be a secondary ball handler and creator. I'm in. Brandon's uh, Brandon's not. Uh, he, he's ready to say no, no to any trade with Donovan Mitchell, <laughs> even if they're giving him away for free. Um, he's just not going to do it. Uh, but, um, I think it's, it's all part of a bigger conversation that 
the Kings are going to remain active. Those are the types of deals that they're going to look for. I hope that they don't wait around hoping that they're going to be part of one of these types of deals for a whole season like they did last year or at least half a season and really disrupt things. But uh, that's that's what uh, we're not done yet, right, Brennan? They're not done. We're not done, James. The marathon continues. <laughs> the marathon continues. <laughs> um, okay, uh, we have the business of basketball. I'm just going to keep asking the same question. Do you think they're do you think they're done? Do you think that this is a roster that walks into the season? It's interesting because I should be having the same answer to the same question, but it's too boring, you know? I like have to every once in a while just say something different. Um I think that they'll make another move but I really wouldn't feel surprised either way like I I do feel like this is a significantly better roster than we saw last season and if going into this year the goal is to make the postseason and in my mind that's through the play-in I think you're already in a spot where like you can say that that's a reasonable outcome like I I don't think I'm sitting here thinking it's 100% necessary that one other move happens before the start of the regular season I think that I could see it happening, but I don't think that it's necessary currently. I think that they've kind of already done enough. Um, Although there are obviously like holes that need to be filled with HB's contract also being an interesting scenario, Sabonis' role and contract scenario as well. So like I could see it, but I think the more recently I've kind of come to accept that I, I could also see this roster being the one that they go into opening day with. I think I thought that for sure there had to be another move prior to recently. And now I think that this could be it. I'm in the same position. Like I, I think that they would like to make one more move. They are willing to make one more move, but it's going to be tough. I mean, we're looking at training camp starting in two months, eight weeks, a lot can happen in that time, especially with the NBA and a lot of these big players still could move around. But I do believe that there's a good chance that they'll strike out, that they won't be part of a bigger deal, and that they'll end up with this roster. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think that they're going to have to be aggressive during the season and make sure that they understand the Harrison Barnes situation and what it means moving forward and, and how they handle it, how they handle it. And what they do if they're good, what they do if they're not, uh, when they make a move, when they don't, all that stuff. Um, all right, so let's just get to the basics one more time. Uh, we got Off the Record with the Kings Beat Virtual Happy Hour Part 7, Deuce is Wild with Deuce Mason on Thursday from 5.30 to 7.30. If you are a premium subscriber to the Kings Beat, you will get an email with the invite. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. He has an incredible story. So I think it'll be a little bit like the Scott Moak one where there's a lot more there than what you thought. You know, so when we brought in Scott Moak, um, I think everyone was excited because Moak is cool. But then like some of the behind the scenes stuff that he can tell a story about was really, really intriguing. And I think uh, Deuce is going to be very similar in that way. Uh, He's a good friend. I've known him for, I don't know, over a decade now. Uh, I've watched him grow and he's, he's he's a good dude and a good kid. And I'm glad to see him finding success uh, and he's going to be a blast to talk to so that's for premium subscribers to the king's beat jump on board with the king's beat um, all of that information is down below in the description if you're watching on youtube give us a thumbs up subscribe uh and brendan do you have any final thoughts i do not 
Uh, tried to think of some last minute there. I don't think I got anything, James. I'm going to get to Godfather 2 here before the happy hour. Ooh. You got through the first one. You're impressed. You haven't watched The Offer yet, which The Offer is just about Godfather 1, but it's still... Oh, it's only about the first one. Oh, It's okay. only about the first one. Yeah, you could watch it, but it's 10 episodes. I mean, we're talking about binge watching. Oh. Yeah. So I'm, I'm binge watching House right now. Uh, the okay. House MD TV series. I it came on after American Idol. I know what you're talking about. Hugh Laurie. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's a great series. I'm I'm impressed where I'm at. Like just going through it again. Like it's fun to watch. I watched it all when it was live. Um, yeah. All right. Final thoughts. Um, I'm gonna go out on the lake either today or tomorrow. I'm a little leery on the weather. This has been weird. The rain, everything else. But everybody out there, stay cool. I probably you know I'm I'm gonna Brendan up to go out on the boat and hang out. Brendan, you want to come out and hang in, swim in, yes, in, in the lake? let's do it, James. I thought you'd never ask. Yeah, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's do this. Do so, um, All right, well, uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat podcast. We will be back on Thursday, the happy hour we have Thursday evening. Um, that should be a ton of fun. Uh, Sean should be back uh, later this week. Yeah, I know he'll be at the happy hour. He should be on the pod. We'll either record on Thursday or Friday just depending on when we can all get together because we're going to do the happy hour as well. Um, it'll be a little bit different than most weeks. So, um, okay, that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, for Brennan Nunes from the King's Pulse Podcast, and of course, uh, the King's Herald, I'm James Hamry, King's Insider for ESPN 1320, and the King's Beat. See you very soon.